the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What really should motivate the Christian is the knowledge that God is watching everything we do and He rewards us for being faithful. And that reward is eternal. How do you feel about that statement? Are you uncomfortable with the thought that the Lord is watching everything you do and keeping score, perhaps? Well, I don't think you can think of the Lord as a scorekeeper, but um, the Apostle Paul had some very strong things to say about what you do and what happens when you do it in his uh, letter to the church at Colossae. Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno is taking us through the book of Colossians, and you will hear more on this particular topic in today's brief visit. I'm Mike Trout, and I'll share a little bit more about the church and the ministry at the end of the broadcast. The Apostle Paul taught the equality of mankind in Galatians 3.28, where he wrote, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul emphasized the equality of all believers in Christ, but he did not suggest overthrowing the Roman society in order to achieve this. Instead, he taught that all believers should submit to authority by choice. Paul wasn't a political organizer. This movement wasn't political. All of his zeal was developed in the context of the church as a community in which selflessness and love was the basis for relationships, not power. He took the social structure as it was, and he endeavored by peaceful means to change it. His rule, in summary, amounted to this, let the slave wholeheartedly obey his master, and let the master be kind to his slave. Thus the ill will, dishonesty, and laziness of the slave would be replaced by willing service and integrity, and the cruelty and brutality of the master would be replaced by consideration and love. In the cities of Paul's day, the great bulk of Christians would have no possibility whatsoever of exerting any political pressure for any kind of reform. They lived in an occupied state, not a democracy or republic. Edicts flowed one direction from the capital in Rome. Such is not the case in a nation under representative government of the people by the people, and for the people. As Americans, if we're able, we have a responsibility as Christians to support the candidates and parties that best represent Christian ideals. The platforms and expressed goals of the parties are diametrically opposed. As Christians in America, we have an opportunity for influence that was not available to the church in the first century Rome. There was only one way that church could influence society around it, and that was by spreading the gospel and winning the souls to Christ and letting Christ transform people. 
Had the Christians been branded as a political anti-government sect, that would have greatly hindered their ability to fulfill their commission. It's important for Christians to get involved in promoting honesty and integrity and morality in the government, but that concern must never replace our first commission, which was given to us by Christ himself, which is to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. We as a church must keep first things first. As one pastor so eloquently put it, the church in America was not commissioned to save America. It was commissioned to save Americans by bringing them to Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if we're successful in that, and more and more people in America come to Christ as Savior and Lord, there will be a revival. And that revival will transform America. That's why it's so important for us to keep first things first. Although slavery is acknowledged as a fact in the Old and New Testaments and is not specifically condemned, the Bible contains principles that, when applied, require the abolition of slavery. This is expressed and exemplified in Paul's appeal to Philemon when he asked Philemon to receive Onesimus, the runaway slave, back no longer as a slave, but as a dearly loved brother. And we're coming into the Christmas season, and I love the Christmas season for a lot of reasons. One of the things I love about the Christmas season are the traditional Christmas carols because they are so incredibly rich in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the most profound verses that has ever been penned related to this issue of slavery is found in one of the verses of that great Christmas carol, O Holy Night. It reads, Truly he taught us to love one another. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. It takes a truly sinful, godless heart and mind to enslave a brother. But when we learn of God's law of love and we experience his gospel of peace, then we realize that the slave is our brother. And the result is that chains are broken and oppression ceases. Nothing has done more to improve life in this world for the last 2,000 years than Christianity. When Christianity is applied as Christianity. When Christians who call themselves Christians live like Christians. Now the gospel didn't immediately destroy slavery, but as Christianity spread, it changed the relationship between masters and slaves. The master was to treat his slave like a person, like a brother in Christ. He was not to mistreat him. He was to deal with him justly and fairly. I mean, after all, the Christian slave is free in the Lord. And the Christian master is a slave to Christ. Paul wrote, Bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, it might seem at first that he is endorsing the status quo, but when you read it carefully, you understand that Paul here is subtly undermining the, the concepts of slavery, principles of slavery. First, it's significant that Paul addresses slaves at all. But by doing so, he's acknowledging that they are assembled along with other Christians as the church comes together. And he is recognizing that they are responsible beings who can choose 
a behavior in a circumstance and are held responsible for the behavior they choose. And then he minimizes the presumed superior status of the master by repeatedly reminding both slave and master that they both have a master to whom they are ultimately responsible and accountable. And third, Paul here never hints that he endorses the institution of slavery. He simply tells slaves and masters how they should conduct themselves as Christians within that institution. A Christian servant owed obedience to his master as a ministry to the Lord. And if that master happened to be a believer, the servant was not to take advantage of that relationship because they were brothers in the Lord. If anything, they should do an even better job working together for the Lord. He needed to show singleness of heart, do his work diligently as unto the Lord and not to men. We as Christians work first for the Lord. And secondly, for whoever it is, whatever the company is that signs our paychecks. As Christians, our first allegiance, our first responsibility is to the Lord. Whatever our job is. In our society, we don't have slaves, but the principles apply to any kind of honest Christian employment. A Christian should be the best worker wherever they are. They ought to obey the instructions they're given and not argue. They ought to serve Christ and not just the boss, and not just when the boss is looking. And if we follow these principles, the Scripture tells us that Christ is going to reward us for being faithful. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. In everything doesn't mean absolutely all things. We know that because he says elsewhere that by this obedience we will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, that our behavior is going to be in alignment with the doctrine, with the teaching that comes to us from God our Savior. Paul wrote in Titus 2, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The expression, who are your earthly masters, reminds us again that our real master is in heaven. And he sees everything. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so we're to do our work, not just simply to catch the eye of our earthly supervisor, because that ultimately has a motive of self-gain. But rather, our interest should be singleness of heart to reverence the Lord by providing service to our earthly masters in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 23, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You notice how many times the word Lord is mentioned in just a few short verses. Now here Paul gives us the first of two reasons for slaves or employees to obey their master. And that is that the Lord's going to repay us for our faithfulness. Even if the earthly master, whoever they might be, doesn't give the servant what he deserves for being faithful, the Lord, who sees all, will. That's the promise. 
And the reward that we're going to receive from Christ our Savior is going to be given to us in eternity where moth and rust does not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It is an eternal reward. Hey, if we do what we're supposed to do and we get some reward, a bonus or a raise or whatever it is, that's great. But the value of it isn't eternal. What really should motivate the Christian is the knowledge that God is watching everything we do and He rewards us for being faithful. And that reward is eternal. This also teaches us that all jobs are given dignity by the Lord. You're listening to Study Verse by Verse. I'm Mike Trout. Our teacher is Pastor Leighton Sheely. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And as you might imagine, there is quite a bit going on at Church of the Highlands during these months. And you can find out all the details at their website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. If you'd like to listen to any of our past broadcasts again, just go to the website studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. You can either listen or download past broadcasts. That's studyversebyverse.com. And you can join with us as a financial partner safely. Just click on the Donate button and let us know that you listen. Have a great rest of your day and join us tomorrow at this same time when Pastor Layton will open the Word of God to the book of Colossians and help us study verse by verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.